And the rest of us, let's turn to John chapter 12, if you will. We're going to be back in the book of John today, but we're going to be in a little bit of a different funk here. This is going to be interesting this morning. I have the challenge of saying, well, either we just hold off on the book of John as we enter missions month, and then, you know, we do a couple things during November that are thematic, and then obviously Christmas is thematic as well. What do we do with that? Uh, do we just hold off on the book of John and then dive back in and try to hit the whole resurrection? We're, you know, we're already on the triumphal entry today. Well, we're going to stick with it. And we'll come back to this. You'll hear about this in a moment. We'll come back to this in its proper due time. But we're going to take a little bit different approach this morning. Let me pray over the message today as it pertains to missions, interestingly enough. As it pertains to reaching out to those who are in need and committing acts of service so that the gospel of Christ can reach out to the world around us. Let's pray. Father, let the Word of God speak clearly with great definition. Surpass what it is that I have prepared. Move beyond that. Speak to the heart and the individual. Rally us to action, Father. Thank You that as I look out this morning, I have great joy. I have great excitement that I look into the eyes of those who are faithfully serving. That this does not have to be a muster towards arms. This does not have to be a clarion call to a church to step up and serve in some capacity because we just don't get that yet. Father, this is a celebration of the fact that our people understand this and we have a culture of service here. But refine our thinking. Show us and teach us. Encourage us in our acts of service to have joy in how we do that. Thank You, Lord. To Your glory. Amen. Well, this past September, I was at a pastor's conference up at Hume Lake and uh, was getting ready to leave the dining hall from one of our many eating experiences. And... Um, of course, I was going to go run around the entire lake eight times. Um, that was what I always do. No, take a nap in a chair by the lake. That's what I do. And all of a sudden, I hear a, a, a voice call out my name. And I see this young guy, probably mid-20s, and he knows me. And I don't know him. Have you ever been in that position? And now you're at a crisis of decision, aren't you? Either you act like you know this person and deceive everybody and have to repent later, or you just blatantly admit, I have no idea who you are. You know, I apologize, what's going on? And so I chose the latter after much prayer and fasting for about five seconds. And uh, this particular individual was from down south and had known my wife and had known of me and my ministry down south for years and He's pursuing ministry and he's involved as a youth minister back in Santa Clarita. And uh, he kind of had the drop on me because he, he knew all this stuff about me from his older brother or other people. And uh, I, could, I just knew his name. That's all I knew. And so we arranged to have dinner later that night. And a lot of what happens at our pastor's conference is little side conversations here and there. And earlier in the day, I had had a conversation with another pastor who was going through a difficult time. And he's starting a church plant. And he had his dream team up there with him. 
And uh, each of these guys had different roles that they were facilitating in this church plant. Well, at dinner time, I'm sitting next to Kyle, who, you know, knew me, got the drop on me, and we're talking. And right next to him was one of the dream team individuals. And so as we kind of go around the table and we're going to know each other, um, I realized who this guy was and that I'd heard all about him and his ministry from Ron, uh, his pastor. And so as we're talking, he says, yeah, I have to do the accounting. There you go, right? Right, Craig? I have to do the accounting. That's God's total act of righteous service right there. Those people, that, that that's where they're serving. That, that is a beautiful thing. Don't ever move from what you're doing. Please, continue on faithfully, stridently. Um, and, but what he said, because he's a youth pastor, but he's having to do the accounting for this whole church plant. And so he just kind of, at the end of all that, said, yeah, but I wish I could focus on this. And I just, you know, you ever like speak without thinking? I know none of you ever do. Uh, but I did in this moment. And I said, well, somebody had to go get the donkey. And everybody at the table was like, what? Which, I, that's my spiritual giftedness, is to just create confusion in a, in a mob. And uh, so uh, I said, you know, the disciples are told, but here's a triumphal entry, and, and the, the disciples are told, I need you to go get a donkey. I need you to take care of this facilitating active service. Because I don't ride in. We don't have any triumphal entry unless I have a donkey. Somebody had to go get the donkey. And so as I said that, Kyle just sits there and he's like, Whoa. Man, did you, did you just think that up? Yeah. Yeah, I did. That was deep. That was deep, man. So, I thought, okay, if it's so deep, I'll have to use it in a sermon. So that's why we're doing it today. It has nothing to do with... No, it has everything to do with the text. So this morning as we do so, we're going to get into the triumphal entry. And the title is, Somebody Had to Get the Donkey. Now, let me back this up with a little history. Things have changed. We've been looking at the book of John. We've been watching the ministry of Jesus, right? Now the ministry ends. Isn't that interesting? The ministry of Christ is done. His preaching, His efforts to uh, convince the Jewish nation, uh, His efforts in doing miracles, all of this kind of ceased at the point where He raises Lazarus from the dead. Now the next part of His ministry is to complete the purpose for which He came. And as He enters into Jerusalem... He comes humbly. He comes as a servant. The disciples and many others probably remember the many times Jesus has stated that His time has not yet come, and now the time has come. Now we enter into the Passion Week. There's symbolism to this cavalcade. There's a lot going on here. There's much symbolism and meaning tied into the royal entrance into Jerusalem. And, and what I want you to kind of think of in, in context to this is any of these movies like Gladiator or any of the like the old movie with Victor Mature the Robe or you know any of these classics that as the victor rides into Rome itself he's surrounded by crowds and he rides in on a royal chariot and there's flowers and there's horns and there's music and there's ceremony right think about when you've been honored 
Because I'm sure you've all been honored at some dinner, right? At some banquet, right? In your honor. And, uh, and you've been presented. And You know, I think the thing that we can really equate this to in our modern day society, unfortunately, is either the Academy Awards, right? Or the inauguration of a president. And it's those two things that we get this picture of what's really happening here with the triumphal entry. You know, Jesus comes, he presents himself on a donkey, not a steed, not a chariot. And he does so purposely. He does so to fulfill prophecy out of Zechariah 9.9. He does so with the crowds that have been following him. And, and you will see next week that there are great crowds that have heard about Jesus for years now, for almost three years. And they've also heard about his raising of Lazarus. And so they're gathering. They've been waiting the better part of two and a half months Will Jesus return for the Passover? Here He comes. And everybody runs to the Mount of Olives and they're going to receive their victor. And so they grab palm branches and they would have had to have been prepared because regionally there are no palm branches there at this time. They would have had to gather them from the, from the desert region, maybe even Jericho. And so they've got these palm branches and they take their cloaks and they have this picture of the royal triumphant entrance into the city. Our victor has come. And what did they say? Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. They are literally screaming, Save us! Now unfortunately, they're doing so with a political mindset. They missed it. The politics of the day trumped their need for a Savior. I recently had somebody talk to me about, you know, Pastor you're going to push this whole counter bill about how our state has allowed for transgender youth to go into any bathroom on their campuses and, and this, that, and the other. And I said, actually, I'm not going to push it. I said, when I get done pushing my people to reach out with the message of the gospel and I've got more time, then I'll push that. But I'd much rather have our people concerned about getting out and helping those that are dying spiritually and helping them rather than attending to the little side distractions that are sinful, that are heinous. But Paul talks about this in Timothy, in his instructions to Timothy, right? What soldier gets distracted with the periphery? What farmer, if he wants to reap a harvest, doesn't pay attention to the things he has to focus on? Folks, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not against us voting against these things. But I'm very much about us being focused on what is important. That is the spiritual needs of those around us. That is priority. That trumps everything else. There's no guided chariot. There's no five-car motorcade. There's no black tie event. There's just a crowd, a Savior, and a donkey. That's it. But they're screaming, Hosanna. He's come and He's going to save us. We have a Savior here who's pictured in this passage who demonstrates servanthood and humility. He has a team surrounding Him that is willing to serve without question. Humility and service often goes unnoticed. And today we're going to examine and learn the proper form of service to our King. So let's read the passage, shall we? going to be in verses 12 through 19 and it says this the next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that jesus was coming to jerusalem so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him 
crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see, you're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now there's a lot to unpack there. And let me just share with you, we're going to get back to that the Sunday before Easter. All right? We're going to come back and revisit this. And interestingly enough, there will be plenty between now and and the Passion Week for us to fill that Jesus speaks to and speaks to the heart. It's actually going to fill up three months of content of preaching before we even get back to this in the passage. So in thinking about it, the story that we're going to save for later, Jesus comes as a humble servant to the slaughter, yet He'll be the conqueror. Jesus fulfills biblical prophecy by riding in on a donkey. The crowds are yelling in effect, save us! Jesus is being treated like a national hero. And just as a pause for thought, the failure of the people was to address their need for spiritual salvation. Rather, they wanted a political salvation. They were not thinking of a heavenly kingdom. But we're going to put all that aside for four months from now, five months from now. Let's go to a visiting neighbor and get a clearer look at this this morning. Turn to Mark 11. 1 through 10. Mark's going to give us a little bit clearer understanding of how this all happened. John records what? He records that Jesus found a donkey. There's a little bit more that goes on here to the story that we're going to have to examine other than Jesus found a donkey. Now, John looks at it as there was a task to be accomplished, and Jesus needed a donkey to ride in to fulfill prophecy. There is a task that according to God, needs to be accomplished. So does Jesus go and get the donkey? Anyone? No. Jesus has a team. Jesus has chosen to have a team surrounding Him to help Him accomplish what He needs to accomplish. So we're going to read Mark 11, 1-10, and listen carefully. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage, And Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples. Notice they're unnamed. Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found the colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying that colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and He sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields, 
And those who went before the throne who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. The cavalcade has happened upon the back of a donkey. So this morning, we're going to look at servanthood. And if you're going to write something down, Start with this. Servanthood is the glue of success. And that has nothing to do with the fact that apparently we get glue from donkeys, maybe. It's just happen chance. There's three R's that we're going to look at this morning. The request, the response, and the result. So as we look at the story, we have this quote from Christ. He says, go to the village and find a donkey and bring it here. If anyone asks you why, tell them the Lord is in need of it and it will be returned immediately. There's a request. There is a request for us. This is how servanthood starts, right? Is that someone asks of us to do a task. They request something of us. Now the question is, What do we do with those requests? And this morning we want to look at that. Every act of service begins with a need. There was a need here with Christ. He needed the donkey to ride in. So He sends His disciples. Now do you think that that made a lot of sense to His disciples? I want you to go to the village right there. And I want you just to look for a donkey. That's what I want you to do. When you see the donkey, it doesn't matter that it belongs to somebody else. I just want you to steal it. Okay? Has anybody caught that yet? That we're stealing a donkey in the name of Jesus. Okay? Sometimes God asks us to do things not necessarily that are illegal, but He has a greater plan that goes beyond the obvious. What I don't have in my Bible, maybe check your Bible, is that the disciples, these two disciples said, ah, you know, that could be a problem. And by the way, that's not what I was picturing. That would be me, by the way. Jesus, are you serious? A donkey? Come on. I've got a nice Lexus right over here. And uh, we can kind of deck that thing out, put spinners on it. You know, the whole thing. I would have wanted to dress it up. You don't hear that in the text. You don't hear anything other than the request. And it's a tall request. By the way, something interesting about this request is Jesus already knows that it's going to be hard for us when He asks us to serve Him. Did you notice that? Because He gives them instruction. Not only does He say, go get this donkey and just untie it, but if anybody asks you what you are doing, just simply say this. It's kind of like the secret word, right? The secret word is... And this magical secret word is supposed to make everything fine and and okay when it comes to asking some preponderance of a request. You know, Bobby, um, I need to borrow your um, entire house. Uh, We're going to have a meeting for a whole week and I'll give it back. But I'm going to need to borrow your entire house. Oh, and the Lord will bless you. And there's tall requests. 
When God has asked us for tall things, for things that fit outside the box, do we argue? That's the interesting thing about this request, is that there's no argument by the disciples. Have you taken a small sample size of who these jokers are? They argued about everything. Every single thing just about that Jesus asked them to do up until this moment, they, they form an opinion. They, they resist. They have a different approach. They argue. On this one, they just go and they do it. Not every need makes sense. If you're making a request, what we need to learn is if we're in a position of asking, we need to make it clear and provide opportunity for those serving to succeed. We need to make it possible for those to succeed. We know, according to the text, that Jesus made it possible. Jesus, through His Spirit, must have been intervening so that these exact words that were repeated, they let them take the colt. Notice that this requires a team. Jesus needed them to help so that the will of the Father might be accomplished. Jesus doesn't go it alone. He involves other people with what is about to happen. He leans on the team. He involves them. For those of us that are in positions of leadership, we need to build teams around us and we need to lean on them. We need to make requests that fit with the Father's will. Understand what's being asked so that we don't resist, so that we don't second guess, so that we don't doubt. If you have a request given to you, understand what's being asked. Service is not a battle of will. Could you imagine going to a restaurant? Uh, Teresa, you're in the restaurant business. Name your favorite restaurant. Jack's. Jack's. Just happens to work there. Um, Jack's is your favorite restaurant. And Janine and I had the chance to go there when we first got here. And beautiful restaurant. Fantastic restaurant. Teresa, could you imagine that one of your waitresses, uh, uh, they go to a table fine upstanding couple uh like the parkinson's sitting right behind you the parkinson's are there they're having dinner and uh scott orders scott what do you want to order the the lunch thingy okay the lunch special scott wants to order the lunch special okay and and so teresa you're waiting on scott and and uh scott says i want the lunch special And you look at Scott and being just the wise, knowledgeable person that you are and the discerning spirit that you have, that's your spiritual giftedness. Um, I'm just making this up, by the way, if you didn't catch on. Uh, You turn to Scott and you say, no, I think the Cobb salad is really what you want. And Scott's looking at the waitress, thinking this is out of ordinary. He says, no, I think I really want to go with the lunch special. And Teresa's thinking... Yeah, but it's really not that good today. You know, I don't really like the lunch special. I'm more of a Cobb salad person. And, and, and she says, no, you really want to go with the Cobb salad. Isn't this ridiculous? Have you caught on to how ridiculous this is at this point? What kind of a tip are you leaving her, Scott? Don't answer that question. <laughs> Folks, why is it that when we're asked to serve, Much of the time, our first response to the request is to argue how it should be done. Rather than to simply go and untie the donkey and bring him. Pretty simple. 
well, let's go this route, and we've got to get the right size donkey, and we should put a bow around the donkey, and no, just go get the donkey and bring him here. That's all I need. And if somebody asks you a question, this is what you say. It's interesting, when we do acts of service, it should not be a battle of wills. Understand who's asking. Understand who's asking a calling into service. My friend Kyle, who was uh, having conversation with me up at the pastor's retreat, is talking about his entrance into ministry and just trying to figure out where he fits. And, And one of the things that I handed to him is this. You know, Kyle, where you want to be when it comes to the issue of ministry is ask these three things. When you get into an act of service in any kind of ministry, and this applies to us as well to a degree in the room. Number one, let me just double check my notes. Yes. What's the invitation? What have you been invited to? This is something that we're looking at in our life groups, folks, with experiencing God. God invites you to participate in acts of ministry, just like he's asking whom? The disciples. What have you been invited to? Number two, one of the ways that you know that you're serving in the right capacity is confirmation. Confirmation. Confirmation comes through uh, the understanding that what you attempted to do worked well. It served a purpose. And it served often the purpose of the people that you were trying to serve. It worked well. Thirdly, affirmation. And that's the last one. That those around you recognize that you have done a good job and you were precise, agreeable, and you had integrity with what you did. And that's affirmation from those around you. Those three elements can help us in understanding the spiritual connection to what's being asked of us. What is God asking of you in the act of service? And what are people asking you in the act of service? It's nomination time here at Concord Bible Church. And so this is part of our process of uh, infolding people into serving in ministry capacity and, and, and service. And so as we do that this coming year, we're going to kind of ramp up our, our level of responsibility so that invitation, confirmation, and, and affirmation is going to happen for everybody who's in a formal position of, of leadership. But even if you're not in a formal position of leadership or service, it's my job to make sure that you feel affirmed. It's my job to bring up the point that there's confirmation that you are serving well. And often that doesn't happen within a church. We just say, hey, we need somebody to push the buttons back here on the computer so you get the PowerPoint. We need somebody to come up here and strum a guitar. We need somebody to man the doors. We need somebody to greet people just because that's what other people... No. That's not how it's done here at Concord Bible. You see, I can't do... And, 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 and Blaine can't come up here unless there's a... Well, she could, but it helps to have some kind of a visual presentation. You wouldn't understand the idea of uh, what's happening with Bridges, this new concept by Bay Area Rescue Mission, if somebody didn't produce a video. And if somebody in our media group didn't know how to operate the materials back there and take the time. That's how it's all connected. Whether or not you were greeted this morning depends on people that have a passion to serve in that capacity. 
And as you leave today, we'll all have opportunity to serve one another. How are we acquiescing to what we are requested to do? Understand the spiritual connection of what you do in your service in areas outside the church and inside the church. Secondly, the response. I've got four main points here. Number one, do so with honor. Respond to the request with honor. Jesus responded to the request of the Father with honor, and the disciples in turn responded to His request to go get the donkey with honor. They didn't fight back against Him. Number two, do so with humility. Jesus and the disciples did this with humility. They leave us that example. Can you imagine uh, if one of these disciples was Peter? Maybe it was. Maybe it was because it just it doesn't name them. And, and the book of Mark is from Peter's perspective. Peter had a proclivity towards that. I'm not going to name myself in, the, in this situation because it's just it's too humbling. It just said two disciples. Peter, I, I could just hear Peter right now. No, 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 no. I'm not the donkey guy. I'm the walk on water guy. Right? That's my spiritual thing. It's what I do. I have a spiritual gift of, of what? Of, of faith, whatever, walking on water. Could you imagine Jesus going in his request to these two guys? Walking up to them and, and administering a spiritual gifts test before they go to get the donkey? Well, let's just see if you guys fit in this capacity. And we'll talk about that in, in just a moment. Thirdly, do so with trust. Jesus and the disciples did. The Father trusted the Son to do what needed to be done and do it faithfully. Jesus, in turn, turns to His team of, of bandits, whatever you want to call them, and He says, I need you to go do this so that I can come in and accomplish the Father's will by riding on the back of a donkey. He trusted somebody. So in our response, do so well that those who have requested from you have trust in you. They have trust in you. Do so with integrity is the next answer to that. If we want to build trust, then we have to handle what's been asked of us with integrity. Do we handle our acts of service, whether it's to the Lord or whether it's to the Lord through things in particular here at church, with integrity? Or do we do it to the level that it's how we want it done? Or when I get around to it? Or if it's convenient, I'll be there. I stand as a proud pastor saying that I, I know how you serve. And I'm impressed. But more importantly, is God impressed? If you are tied into some form of service here, now, we give you an allowance here to practice raising your hand in humility. Okay? If you are involved in some form of service here at Concord Bible Church, just raise your hand. Formally or informally? Okay, fantastic. We have some that refuse to raise their hand. We'll talk about obedience later. The Spirit will give you what you need. Turn to 1 Corinthians 12, if you will. Now, I mentioned spiritual gift tests, but I need to help you understand that this can be a, uh, a huge difficulty for us. So in the act of service, Pastor, if you're asking me to get involved, if I've been requested to serve in a certain capacity, Pastor, maybe it's just not my thing. Maybe I'm no good at, at, at being in that kind of an element. 
Uh, I really enjoyed Shelby getting up here and reading the Scripture this morning. That, that ministered to me in a huge way. But Shelby will tell you, and don't go up and ask her, okay? She's going to be horrified and throw a brick at my head in a second. She's extremely shy. She would tell you this is not her spiritual giftedness to get in front of all of you and read Scripture. But the Word of God says that that fly should fly away from me and be gone in the name of Jesus right now. The, the, the Spirit of God gives us the strength to do what God asks us to do. And I think spiritual gifted tests do us a disservice sometimes because they partition us. So therefore we become unavailable to God in other acts of service, don't we? Listen to what the Scripture says here as we look at this idea of how do we respond in service? How do we go about answering the call to service, the request? Paul says this, starting in verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to the other an utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to the uh, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. So we have this list of giftedness that the Spirit gives us in the body for ministering to the body of Christ in acts of service. Where do these gifts come from? The Spirit. Now where we get a little tripped up, and now I'm going to speak as your pastor, a human who is finite, not infinite. This is my understanding. So where we get tripped up here is because there is a segmentation of the gifts, we believe that there is a segmentation as to how they are administered. That's not what the text is really saying. The text gives you this segmentation of gifts so that you understand that there are different kinds of what? Gifts. But what you are about to hear throws everything else that I've learned about spiritual gifts up in the air. Verse 11, All these are empowered by one in the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. What is this saying? That while I believe that I have the gift of prophecy, and no, I don't know what you're going to do later this afternoon. Not that kind of prophecy. Prophecy in the sense of preaching, but that coupled with the gift of discernment. That there are moments and times where God reveals to me some things that are unsaid. He brings to my mind things that that may be going on with an individual and He compels me to call and see what's going on or encourage or whatever it would be. I've seen the Lord work through me that way. But you know what? The Lord can also work through me supernaturally in the area of administration. Trust me, that is supernatural. When required, 
I can do that. But guess who has to give me the ability? The Spirit of God. How I believe this works is that there may be a tendency that God has given an individual specifically. But it happens through the power of the Spirit. And since there are no limitations on the Spirit, should there be limitations on what He could call you to or request of you? No. Just know this. That if He requests it, we respond by asking the Spirit to give us strength to do it. We do it in the Lord's power. What did the disciples do? They didn't sit there and try to pay money. They didn't barter a chicken or two for the donkey you know, to pacify the owner. They simply used the power of Jesus Christ. They used the words of Christ. They said exactly what Christ told them to say. And maybe those disciples had the gift of walking on water. But they humbly went and did... How many of us would want to go steal a donkey in the name of Jesus? I don't want that job. But in their response to the request, they honored, the, honored God, they honored Jesus, because they did what was asked of them in the power of the Spirit. They earned trust. They practiced in integrity. They did not argue. Lastly, what's the final R? The result. You know, a train on the track, I... I um, I used to play with a train. We had a basement in my house. Any of you have basements growing up? It's not real common in California, but yeah, some of us. And so we had a basement. I got a train when I was a little kid, and uh, it's the only toy I ever had. I never had a puppy. I never had a cake. I had a, no, whatever. I had this train, and it was cool. It was this tight, and it had the smoke. You could put like oil in the thing, and here comes the smoke. And it had the light bulb on the front, so I turned the lights off. And this was when I was 28, but anyway. Um, <laughs> I'd put this train on the ground and I would set it and I'd flip the switch on the other and I'd run to the other side of the room and I'd get down, lay down and watch the train coming at me. And you know what? That train never went left or right. It only went to where I set it. And that was the result. That was the goal. It was going to get to me. And after a while, that got boring. So what did I do? What every eight-year-old would do. You find things to put in front of it. To see if it would burst through and conquer over the obstacle. And the result is to try to derail the train. And so you start small, right? You start with like a piece of fuzz. Okay, that, you, yeah, my Tyco did it. All right, then you get a piece of paper and you, you cement poles in and then you put a target on and, and you do some engineering classes and you take a CAD course and you figure out at age eight. And then it bursts through and it's really thin paper and you're really excited. And then you get the family cat and you tie it down. And No, you don't do that. You get your sister, you tie her down. No, you don't do that. Folks, the train is supposed to go one direction. And the result is that it arrives on time. But there are ways that we can derail the train, aren't there? To derail the triumphal entry was for the disciples to not respond appropriately. But they did. And what was the result? Exactly what the Father wanted. Exactly what the Father wanted. 1 Corinthians 3, 5-15. through 15. Let's turn there. This is a key passage. A key passage. 1 Corinthians 3, 5-15. through 15. Folks, the result of why we're doing our service is this. 
Matthew 25 is the passage where we see this, the parable of the talents. Those that know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior are going where for eternity? We're going to heaven. And at some point in time in there, I don't know when it happens, but at some point in time, there is an accounting that we give for the time that we're given here. Remember last week I told you that once we accept Christ, why doesn't He just take us then? Why doesn't He just rapture us then? And the reason is, is that He has acts of service for us to do. For whatever reason, He's chosen you and I to be instruments of righteousness. He's chosen you and I to be that vision of who He is to the world around. And in many ways, we do this in acts of worship. Whether we do that through what James talks about in, in demonstrating faith, whether it's the demonstration of, of fruit of our lives, whether it's the Ephesians 2.10 passage that says He's created good works for us to do before the creation of the world in Christ Jesus. Whether it's Philippians 1.3 that says that He's begun a good work and you will be what? will be faithful to complete it. Now are we on track like the train? Because there will be a time where I stand before my Lord and He says, I gave you this and I gave you this and I gave you this. And what did you do with it? Well, I didn't know you were going to take me at age 47. I thought I'd have till 65 at least. Well, I was a little confused as to exactly what to do with that. I took the spiritual gifts test and it wasn't administered very well. And I, I once had a Christian yell at me and disappoint me, so I just gave up on the whole... There won't be a single thing I can say to him other than, sorry. That is one of the thoughts that haunts me. Is that I will stand before my beautiful Lord and Savior who died and rose for me and has given me everything so that I can accomplish these works of service like going and getting a donkey. And I don't want to stand in front of Him and say, sorry. You see, this is all the time I've got. It's a little experiment. Because once I'm in heaven, it's a completely different gig. This is it. The result, I want the result just as it is read in Matthew 25 where he opens his arms and he says, welcome. My faithful servant, welcome. That's why I do what I do. And that's why you should do what you do in acts of service. Going and getting the donkey... Let's look at this really quickly. He says, Paul's speaking again. He says this, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his what? His labor. For we are God's fellow workers. That is amazing. What is the job you wish you had? You all have your dream job, right? Liaison to the options for women. I know. Shameless plug. 
What is that dream job you wish you had? Guess what? You have it. You are a fellow worker with God. Not for God. With God. A fellow worker with God. Now listen to this. You are God's field. God's building. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will be become manifest for the day will disclose it. That's that day I was telling you about. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. What is the result, my friends, of service? Of trustworthy service? Of integral service? Of non-arguing service to the request? Of honorable service? There's a reward. There's a reward is the result. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. What is this telling us? This is telling us you have the opportunity to serve. You and I have the opportunity to serve. As we do so, let's look towards a result. A result that provides God-honoring stories. Your act of service needs to be built on Jesus Christ, number one. Number two, your act of service needs to reflect Jesus Christ, number two. And thirdly, your act of service needs to honor Jesus Christ. Somebody needs to get the donkey so that God's work can be accomplished. Let me close in prayer. We're going to have the worship team come and close us and the men prepare for the offering. Thank you this morning for being here. But I also want to say to you, thank you for serving. And it's not just, I know that there are those days. Folks, we saw about um, this plan by Bay Area Rescue Mission to reach out because the face of the homeless is changing. You'll notice when you walk out, maybe you notice when you walked in, that our banner for our kiosk is gone. So that disappeared last Sunday, and we have a security system, and I went and looked over the security system, and I watched the people that stole it. There's a big story behind that. I don't have time for the whole story. Three people walked onto this campus last Sunday afternoon at 3.50 in the afternoon, and they filled up watering cans and brought a hose over and cleaned themselves right out here across from the kiosk. There was an older woman and then a guy and a gal. And the way I estimated, because I couldn't see really well, somewhere between maybe mid-teens and early 20s. And at the point where they were finishing up, I watched the guy pull the banner off, roll it up, and they all left. And so I started thinking about it Monday or Tuesday when I came in. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go down under the bridge and see if anybody's there. So I got up out of my office to untie the donkey. 
And I walked down, and sure enough, I could hear voices, and so I walked through a bunch of filth. I got to the other side, and here's the older woman sitting down. She's eating a cake that was given as a homeless outreach. And I just shared with her that, you know, I, I really could use that banner back, and, you know, we kind of got this on video. And at first, she tried to act as if she didn't know anything about it, but I said, well, actually, I recognize you clearly. I said, I couldn't see the other two, but, um, you know, we have it on video. And, and then she was horrified because the girl who was cleaning herself was her 14-year-old daughter. This is a family that used to live right behind the church. 14 years old is my daughter's age, Jericho. This girl is on the streets and having to take a shower right there. Acts of service. For whatever reason, if you need that banner for protection from rain or whatever, use our banner. Because I'm going home to a really nice house and I'll be fine. But I learned something that day. I learned that I don't have to go to Richmond to reach out to hopeless people. And we let them know that you just need to make a list of what you need. If you took the banner because rain's coming and you need shelter and you're building some kind of a whatever, we'll buy you a tent. We'll do whatever it takes. Just make a list. Folks, there's people all around us that need help. And there's something we can do. Thank you for serving. Thank you for being willing to go and tie the donkey for just the simple request. Let me pray over the offering. Father, it is a blessing to have what you've given us. To my knowledge, none of us are going to be going to live under a bridge this afternoon. To my knowledge, none of us are going to have to ride into town on a donkey so that the spiritual lives of the entire world might be saved. That's already been done and taken care of. But Father, You ask us to do acts of service and You give us the Spirit to help us accomplish that. Let us do so with honor, with trust, and with integrity. And let us do so looking forward to the results of You working through that to Your glory and so that we might please the One who called us into service. Lord, use this offering to Your glory. Manifest it. May we use it continually to reach out to those that are hurting around us. Go with us now. In Your name we pray. Amen.